Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to another Porsche Cooled podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Um, I'm back in London. Yes, I am. I'm not in Bahrain this week. I'm doing this from London. It's it's 8.30 in the morning, or eight, almost 8.30 in the morning. Um, I've got Steve coming on the other line shortly via Zoom, via Zoom. Uh, we do this by Zoom. We're not in the same room. Steve is my mate from Sydney, as you guys all know. Owns a GT3. Had owned air cools before, 964, 993s. I own a Carrera 2, a 997. Uh, it's stuck in Sydney. Uh, and... A 912 is on my books. I was off my books, but now it's back on my books. But we'll talk about that in the podcast. Um, yeah, so good to be back in London. Uh, sun is shining for a change. It was raining yesterday. But uh, before I start getting into it, let's just get Steve on the line and um, start, talk, start talking. <laughs> it's early for me. Start talking all things Porsche. Okay, we're back, everyone. We're back. Steve is here. Hi, Steve. Hi, mate. How you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, no, no, I'm grumpy. You're grumpy. <laughs> I'm tired. Don't tell I'm tired. Tired. Steve is it, doing this it, in the evening in Sydney, as you know. Sun's shining there, though. I can see everything in your room today, so that's nice. Yeah, it's better to be honest. Can't fake things. Really bad at that. Yep. <laughs> I'm just tired. Um, yeah, I was a bit like that too. Um, like I just said in the intro, I've just, um, as you know, I'm back in London. So, but at least the sun's out today. That's the main thing. You can see it in the background, but it's actually really mm. pleasant, really nice day. Um, yeah, but nice. yeah, the same for me. Work has been uh, work. Things have been annoying this week. That's mm. for sure. So it's actually thrown uh, me. Any jet? How long's the flight? Jet lag? No, not really any jet lag because the flight More is time only. Difference? Yeah, there's only th- there's three hours time difference. So, like I said, you know, usually yeah. just for the listeners, I usually do this at 11 in the morning with Steve, um, 7 p.m. Sydney time. So, this morning I'm doing it at, at 8. Well, it's supposed to be 8. It's almost 8.30. Um, well, that's early not much for jet- you, isn't it? Yeah, it's early for me. I don't get up early, as you know, um, unless I'm jet really, really <laughs> jet-lagged in Sydney and I'm awake at 4 every morning. Um, do you want, I can loan you a baby if you want. That'll, that'll get you up in the morning. No, it's because... The flight, you don't get jet lagged in the flight from Bahrain, but the flight from Bahrain sure. leaves at two in the morning. You know what I mean? It leaves at two in the oh, morning. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. So you like, you know, you still have to get to the airport early, even though we got picked up late. Our lift forgot about us. Um, and then, you know, you don't really sleep on the flame, plane because it's only a six hour flight. It's a bit short. And then yeah. Gulf Air, they're always, they wake you up like, they're waking people up three hours before for food. I don't even eat any of the food or yeah. drink any. Of the, I don't drink anything or eat anything on the plane during this period. Um, yeah. And then, you know, then it takes another hour or so to get back to the flat here from Heathrow. And then you kind of like potter around. You don't go to bed to normal, but you, you kind of missed a night's sleep. So you kind of do feel a bit jet lagged to answer your question. You kind of do feel a bit mm. like all over the place. Um, Long day, you lit, particularly yeah, if you you're miss, on f- yeah. Yeah. Not Flying at strange hours is not, not easy. Yeah, but in general, flying is okay. I hope my mic's okay. This table's lower, so I don't even know if it's on the right direction. Um, flying is actually okay. No, because I'm sitting yeah. higher, so I don't know if I'm actually talking to the mic. I can't even hear myself through my headphones today. Flying's actually okay. It's it's still it's busier, but it's not that bad. Um, people mm-hmm. are still wearing their chin masks, which is really annoying. That's the most thing, the most annoying thing I find about COVID is these people who have mm. think that a chin mask is actually wearing a mask. Um, I don't get it. But anyway. Oh, you mean those sort of weird bandanary type things? No, they have a normal mask, Steve, either an N95 or the surgical mask, but they, they just like yeah. to wear it on their chin. So it looks like they're wearing oh. a mask. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they, yep. they're, they're so fashionable, they don't want people to see them with a mask on or something. I don't know what's going on. Um, all right, so what's happened this week? Did you, how's the GT3? Any any changes? Uh, good, no changes. I think I'm going to give up on the whole um, second set of wheels thing. I don't know. Oh, really? Sort of slightly lost interest. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll see what happens. Just Nobody mulling no- over it. Nobody reached out to help us with that uh, tire TPMS sensor thing. No one helped, even yeah, though we I th- said. I, I thought about it and I looked it up on the just the 997 um, forum on Renlist as well to sort of see. And I think Grant at Autohouse is right in terms of, you know, you can sort of set it up as a the second set of wheels is akin to like a winter set of wheels, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah. when you just try to read it up, read up on it, I mean, everybody com- kind of complains that... Um, the basic TPMS is a bit sketchy, so... Um, yeah, yeah. All right, well, I guess that yeah. saved you some money anyway. That's the main thing. Yeah, probably substantial money, because I, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, if, if we were talking a couple hundred bucks, then, yeah, no problem, I'd, I'd give it a whirl and see what happens. But if in totality, like, the parts plus the time to kind of try to figure it all out, blah, 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 if that sort of winds up being, like, you know, 1,500 bucks or, yeah. you know... Yeah. Somewhere like a grand to fifteen hundred, it's just not worth it. So basically, you'd have to do it as a permanent thing. You can't really do this thing where you're just going to switch in and out all the time. Not with TPMS sensors. TPMS, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Unless the only other thought I had was um, actually kind of working out how they're physically installed. Because if I can take them off, you know, the wheels that are on the car, and then put them on the second set myself. Um, yeah. But I have a feeling that um, sticking a valve in a wheel and all that sort of stuff is a bit beyond my <laughs> mechanical yeah, I abilities. So. I wouldn't get into that. I wouldn't get into that. Um, yeah. No idea. So nothing yeah. else? You haven't bought anything? What happened with the, the shift knob? Did they get back to you? Nope. No. Nope. I haven't heard from Joel. People so. are slack, aren't they? Don't talk to me about art- artisans, craftsmen. You know, I'm still having the same issues I had last week, so... Um, uh-huh. The good news is I actually sent the part. Funny story, which I'll tell the listeners because I haven't told them this, is that I ordered leather parts from, uh, I won't mention his name because I'm, I'm not having a go at him. I'm just, it's just a funny story that we'll laugh about later. Um, and Steve knows this story. But the parts that I ordered, they were sent to Sydney. There was a part missing my sunroof surround in leather, the plastic part that was covered in leather. And instead I got two of the seat rear seat backstops. Funny story is Nick, who was on the very first owner's stories, they're his part now, and it's like a crazy coincidence, but they're actually his mm. part. Um, so I was waiting for uh, the last week and a half for, for the guy to actually in the UK to like organize the pickup of it and the shipping because he was going to organize a courier. He just ignored mm-hmm. it. Um, so now I've, I just got um, Natasha's brother to post it. So it was posted last week. So Nick can at least have his part because, you know, I felt really bad that Nick doesn't have his part. I still don't have my part and, you know. Not your fault. I, not my fault, but, you know, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just yeah, a drama. Yeah. It's just I something you just bogs, it bothers me. Um, mm. But what happened to the Macan? Do you want to talk about that or that's, that's not, not to be spoken about? I mm, don't know if that's for human um, public consumption. Okay. Um, yeah, it, put it this way, it needs a, it needs a little bit of repair work. Um, and it it's not that bad so. though, right? No, oh, look, <laughs> there's no point beating around the bush. Cindy was really tired. We've just had a rough kind of couple of weeks because um, my wife's sick and so is baby and 
Um, we're tired, there's lots of broken sleep, hence, hence the grumpiness. She just glanced um, the column in, um, downstairs in the car park. Easy so to do. She just, Easy to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and um, I, I backed a car into one of the columns when we moved in because I was so mm. tired from moving. Um, so I've just got to go and figure out um, getting it repaired. And it's, so it's just that. It's dented or it's just scratched? Uh, more dented than scratched, but it's paint and bodywork. Um, oh, okay, re, so it... rear door. I reckon it's an insurance jobby, but um, yeah. oh, it's a rear door. It's know. not the bumper. No door. Um, oh, just the door. where the kind of wheel arch kind of meets the door. Um, oh, okay, tricky bit. It's just one of those weird things too. Like you know, with insurance, because like on first glance you look at it and kind of go, "Oh, there's not much in that," but yeah. um, it's a Bosch, blah blah blah. Then you weigh it up against your excess, so there's the cost of what you have to pay with your excess. But then, I don't know if normal people um, think like this, um, but not only do you kind of account for the cost the cost of the excess, but to me, I then kind of go and figure out, well, how much is the raise in the premium going to be for the following year and the year yeah. after that? Because yeah. your premium's affected for um, making a claim. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you use that to work out the total cost um, to to figure out whether or not it might be worth your own while to kind of pay it out of pocket. All oh, right. So you're trying to work out whether to go through insurance or not. Yeah. I think yep. you just go but, through insurance. Well, I've just discovered through insurance too that they kind of calculate things differently from how I remember because, um, you know, the whole kind of no claim bonus thing used to be like the maximum was 60% and if you had a prang then it would go down to 50% but they don't calculate it they're not as transparent in how they calculate things anymore so right is that done through to work is out. that Porsche insurance that's insured through the Macan as well no oh, no, no it's not oh okay no they were more expensive for the Macan oh wow Macan sorry Macan um yeah, yeah so I'm what you know me I'm worrying about the 997 again I, I'm after seeing that image from inst, from um on what was it? Order House Hamilton's Instagram. Mm. Um, the listeners yeah, can go to it. Just go to Order House Hamilton and look at their Instagram. There's a few pictures back um, where they bought a, they had a, um, a new owner bought a car. They didn't say whether it was a 996 or a 997 though in that post. Their posts are a little bit wishy-washy. You think they'd give you that information. They didn't say if it was a 996 or a 997. They just said it was mm-hmm. a customer's purchase. It could have been Boxster actually even. could have been anything, right? And then they advise the owner to do the new IMS, to fix the IMS. Mm-hmm. And then they open it up and basically there's all shavings of metal there. You saw yeah, that picture, right? Yeah, disintegrated, hadn't it? Yeah. Disintegrated, yeah. yeah. But they said the engine yeah. was running fine. This is a scary bit that I found. The engine's running fine and there was no noise to indicate a problem. Now, yeah. I know people always say that you should check the oil filter and the oil filter should be cut open after the service to see if there's any metal fragments in the oil filter. That was one of the tests for IMS. I can't remember. Oh, is it? Okay. I think so, but I can't remember the test when you do a pre-purchase inspection. I mean, I know mine, they checked the engine number. I'm not sure what else they did. I know that some people, I don't know what checks they do to check for the IMS on a PPI. I can't remember. Can you? I'm not mechanical enough, but I know that a lot of people, a lot of people that are sort of more thorough and in the know sometimes get um, their oil, their engine oil, um, tested like literally oh, right. kind of sent out to a lab so it can i believe that it's uh picking up sort of like 
different fragments of metal and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, so maybe you can that's always if... tell in your sump plug as well, you know, like how your sump plug is magnetic. So yeah. when you do an oil change, you actually look in the plug itself and you can sort of see um, metal shavings in it. If So that's obviously not a good sign as well. So I guess when you get the service done, they look at those things, you know, when they do it for you. Yeah, When your sure. Porsche specialist sure. does it, they look at the sump plug, they... I mean, like I said, I've read that thing that people say they cut their... I think this is people that do it themselves, where they get their... They right. cut their oil filter open and see if there's any metal fragments in there. But that was a bit scary. I mean, and I, I guess yeah. after speaking, and, and James's Porsche, uh, Porsche Cool Donor Stories has come up um, on Tuesday, last Tuesday. Um, mm, it's really so good. So that was good? Yeah, so I we'll talk, so Yeah, we'll talk about that. Interesting but he, perspective. Yep. Yeah, but he... I don't know if you remember, he made the point he had that white 98... Carrera 996, which I thought looked fantastic. Yep. And I said it in the thing. I think it's a great look. It looked so good in white. But he yeah. said when he sold it, you know, the underlying thing, basically the IMS, you know, it's still a thing in people's, it's still a thing in your head that do you want to keep it for this issue? I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty, I, would, um, I don't know. It gets a lot of press, doesn't it? Um, it's hard to say because I guess you really need to, it, it's only really going to be, um, you know, either dealership mechanic, uh, dealership, service centers or kind of good independent mechanics and stuff like that are really going to be able to have a gauge because they're the ones kind of doing the repairs like yeah um apart from like looking at a poll on um you know like um piston heads or ren list or whatever to to truly kind of work out how prevalent the actual um sort of thing is still seems a very small percentage i mean i don't know I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's obviously yeah, still I there. I don't really think about it. You know, it's not something I think about. And I, people people ask me that question. I said I don't. I don't think about it anymore. You know what I mean? Um, but I do. Which, th- I ha- but I say that. Thing. I say that when I'm home and I'm driving the car and the car's been driven. At the moment, I do think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so sure. it does actually worry me. But just what so else are you worrying know, about though? Huh? No, that's what it. What else are you worrying about with your car? That's it. And then the registration, but Steve's helped me out with that. So my car has to get registered at the end of January. So it yeah, looks like Australia. It's not gonna, looks like I can't get back to Australia, I don't think. Um, still trying, maybe not before Christmas. I'll try and get back in January. So hopefully it'll happen. But if it doesn't, Steve sorted that out for me. So that's great. Yep. I got that. Um, you know, I subscribe to Road Rat Magazine. Yep. Um, I don't know why I subscribe to it. Um, and I know that um, I had someone, who was it? Barry, actually, Barry in the UK said to me that I should subscribe to Duck and Whale mm-hmm. instead, you know, cancel the subscription for Road Rat and get Duck and Whale instead. Um, I yep. still really want to get Triple Zero Magazine subscription, Steve. I know you and I talk about it and I know uh, Nick if just If I was going to his... subscribe to any of them, that's the one that I would go for. But... Yeah, and Nick just got his new, new edition. Um, obviously, Road Rat is not expensive. It was like £46 for four episodes, four, four uh, editions or whatever it's called. Yep. issues um so it's yep. not that it's not a huge amount of money i say that it's not a huge amount of money so and the mark newson one that i got which is a limited edition cover which has got the car on the front the 21c that he did years ago i mean it's mm-hmm. quite a nice it's quite a nice magazine the paper's quite nice you know it's yep. not triple zero it's not of that standard i guess it probably is the same standard as duck and whale i can't remember what duck and whale looks like i only saw the very first episode uh, first issue when it came out mm-hmm. um but anyway, I got that, so that's one thing. Um, I also subscribe to the Porsche magazine as well. The what Christophorus yeah. or whatever Christophorus, it's yeah. I subscribe to that. Christophorus, Christophorus. Yes, yeah. Christophorus. I don't know how do you say it actually. Christophorus. Let's just say Christophorus. I was waiting for you to say it. Didn't you see how I paused there very carefully? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look looking at me sideways. <laughs> um, so I subscribed to that, but that was cheap. 
that's just to see uh, stories. I mean, I can read them online, but I, I kind of like looking at paper at the moment. I kind of like having magazines and books. I don't know. Magazines are cool, but um, Christophorus, if that's how it's pronounced, mm. remember I kind of gave up on that. I think I used to kind of get... I think I used to get it for a bit. My uncle used to get it, so he used to hand over his copies to me. But yeah. they, they're I, good. I just never found the... Oh, I'm talking like 10, 15 years ago kind of thing. I've just never found the articles to be all that interesting. Um, right. Well, that's that's coming, but the first issue doesn't come to December. But like I said, I, I just bought this thing. It's different in this day and age. It's me doing this thing going, oh, that's a cheaper subscription. Oh, it's got Porsches in it. I'll buy that and I won't buy the triple zero. Then I'll eventually buy the triple zero and just... Just buy triple zero, yeah. Can the other ones, yeah. So that's that's basically where I'm at. I just go around the circle first. I should just buy the most expensive one first. Oh, um... I got my um, so I got my copy of A Man and His Watch, which I know is old news, but um, yeah, I had a look at it quickly, and I think you're right; it is a little bit better than A Man in His Car. But now I realise why um, the guy did what he did with A Man in His Car in terms of uh, deep etching, cutting out the pictures of the cars and putting them on black backgrounds, um, because that's what he did with the watches. But but doesn't work. I still think the watch one, I think the watch one, and I don't want to talk about this too much, but the watch one I think is special. I still think the watch one is good and I like the stories. And to me, the watch one is better. I think, I still think he's cheapened the whole thing by the, doing the watch in the car, the more he does. And Tasha, I actually didn't, um, I canceled that order. Um, Oh, did you? Yeah, I canceled it after (laughs) I spoke. Based on my review. Yeah, because it hadn't been sent, (laughs) so I canceled the order. And then, because then Tasha showed me, after I did that, then she showed me the pictures yeah. online, or before I did it, actually, yep. she showed me the oh, pictures okay. online. Um, she found something. And then I saw and the what images. what did she think? Well, she thought they were Given... terrible as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. But they I are. I was just wondering if that was the... just me being grumpy. No, it wasn't you being grumpy. They're not, it's not great. But I guess a lot of people yeah, okay. don't see it that way. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's just because we're always looking for that detail and we see it. And I know what you mean as soon as I saw it. I, I saw it as well, and then Tasha looked at it, and she was showing me, and it was like, yeah, I don't think it's that great. Uh, it's just, I think mag- just by comparison. Yeah, just by comparison, if you look at the standard of the Stefan Bognier guy yeah. and Curves magazine, like there's so much stuff out there where it's shot so kind of well. It's just such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There's, there's, other better, there's other books that I have in my Amazon cart that I'd rather buy. There's other Porsche books yep. that I'd rather buy, so... Okay. I think I'll just, um, that's why I just thought, mm, no, I'll just get, I'll get a Porsche book. I'd rather buy Porsche Unseen, you know what I mean, which we'll talk about in a second. I'd rather buy yeah. that book for 60. I know it's, it's more expensive. I, you know, I'm not talking apples for apples here because it's a lot more expensive, but I'd still rather have that as a book for a collection. Because when I buy a book like you, it's like you buy it to collect, to keep it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I like the Man and His Watch book. Like I have that in Bahrain and I look at it, but it's just a coffee table type book and it's kind of interesting, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, we're talking about Jay Leno's um, 71 911T last week. Yeah. I hope everyone went to yep. watch that because just to hear the sound of it. Um, one just came up on Bring a Trailer, actually, a 72 mm. model, exactly the same color, Steve. Sepia brown, tan interior. Cool. Yep. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty good. It's already got 20,000 20, bid against it, I think. Someone's already, it's already up to 20 grand and it's only been listed like today or la- late last night, so... I'm going to watch that mm. one. I think it's going to go for a lot, though. It'll be interesting to see how much it goes for, um, but I mm-hmm. think it'll go for a lot because it doesn't look like it needs much work at all. It's pretty much ready all to right. go. So, Is the one in Melbourne still sitting there? Which one? The um, 912? Yeah, San Beige Yeah, the 912 is still there. I yeah. hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. It's still there. 
I watch it and see it's still there. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. like, I'm going to get onto that because people have, I think someone asked me during the week about what's happening with your 912 thing. It's like, well, to be honest, and you know this, Steve, is, is nothing is really right. happening. And the reason why nothing is happening is, is I'm trying to be sensible for a little bit. I'm actually trying to be right. sensible, you know, without getting into it, you know, as you know, I'm trying to sell something here in London and, and I just, and then the, the uncertainty with COVID still, even though I know in Australia, it's not really that big an issue, but there's still so much uncertainty everywhere no, else no, in the world. No, it's an issue. It's, <laughs> it's an, an issue, issue right? Oh. No, I mean, you look at, you look issue. at Italy, yeah. you look at Italy, it had more deaths the other, yesterday then it, it's, it, the number of deaths in one day was larger than what it was in April. And April was yeah, when right. it was wow. at its peak. I, you know, but it's not I getting depressed. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, Europe is terrible. Uh, UK is not great either. But, you know, I think UK, unfortunately, people are just not... People don't seem to take as much care here. And I hate to talk to, like, someone who's been living in the Middle East, but in the Middle East, they seem to be still more, you know, regimented, I guess. I guess that's just the, oh. the you know, being in a kingdom. I mean, this is the queen here, but I don't know. It just it just feels different. It just feels different in Bahrain. You know what I mean? It just feels like there's more yeah. people are more concerned. I don't know. Oh, nine twelve. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to be more sensible, right? But then I watched uh, Flat Cap Driver, uh, and as I keep saying, if you haven't been over the Flat Cap Driver's uh, YouTube channel, go over there. Uh, it's really raw. It's really natural. Uh, Ajmal just chats to the camera the way I like to do it. Um, you know, for a long time. You know, so it's it's just natural um mm-hmm. but he's done two videos and he did the video i think about power and he did the video about the 912 uh where he went to his specialist i can't remember the name what is this guy's name flat six oh. sorry Ajmal, i can't remember the name of the guy i haven't got it in front of me um and then he did a walk around of his 912 and i have to say mm-hmm. <laughs> even though <laughs> And I like Ajmal how he talks about it. Like, even though it's not perfect, it doesn't really need to be perfect. Like, it's obviously like he's had some work done on it. It's been fixed up to a good enough state where he can drive it. There's still rust in it. But it's such a nice-looking car, you know. I don't know what it is about those 912s. And it's not just a 912. It's the same model 911, you know what I mean, Steve? That's 65 yeah, yeah, to 69. Yeah. It's just something about it. I think it's just because it's simplicity, you know. It's, about, it's, it's because it is so simple, I think. I think that's what's appealing to it. And I don't, I'm not saying you can have this as your only car. And this is my problem no. is like, you know, I have to be able to justify spending, let's say I buy the one in Sydney, which is uh, Melbourne, which hasn't sold. And there's, mm. there's other numerous ones that I just saw come up. I, late last night at 11 o'clock, after I watched Flat Cap Driver's video, I was searching for 912s again. Um, the yeah. orange rusty one that I inquired about, that's gone, that's been sold. Uh, and then there's a few other new ones on there, a couple of good ones actually for not that much. There's one for 35 and there's one for 44,000 pounds. So the one for 44,000 pounds is quite good, but it's in polo red. I'm not a big fan of polo red. Um, mm. But it's then cool. that gets but that gets to the same price as the one in Melbourne, do you know what I mean? So if the one in Melbourne would go back to the price that he first listed it at, which was 82,500 Australian dollars, then the one in Melbourne is actually still quite a good, good buy. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's about it. Um, I just want to mention um, Porsche Cooled Owner Story, Steve. Just give me a second. I'll just mention this. Um, so James uh, James is uh, from Melbourne. If you haven't listened to it, um, it's the episode before this one. Porsche Cooled Owner Story is number eight. James is uh, Porsche Platz or Porsche Platz on Instagram. Check out his Instagram because he has a lot of photos of his cars and whatever. Uh, it's a really good story. Um, and I said this last week. He 
has cup cars. He's had air cooled. He's had water cooled. He's had transaxle. He just had a he had a nine four four turbo, which I thought he still had, but he actually got rid of. But yeah, it's it's a really great video. I just realized I was going to link um, that Outlaw Garages video in the description of the podcast, and I forgot. I'll add that to it today, um, where it's got James's um, James is showing Outlaw Garage around his nine two four turbo. Sorry, nine two four turbo. Um, which he's actually sold now. He doesn't have it anymore. Did you see that video, the man Steve? Is prolific. I didn't. I, I haven't seen it. Um, but um, I listened to the podcast, and the man knows his shit. Like, he's obviously gone well into it. Um, but I found it quite interesting because... Um, am I allowed to give away some of what yeah, we yeah, said? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Just briefly, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, I think as you sort of said to me that you were going to be curious as to what I kind of thought about um, some of his points of view. But I, I reckon the, mount, the, the main outtake that I got was... I think it's interesting once you start taking your car to the track, isn't it? Because he's yeah. obviously kind of, um, well, A, he's, he's obviously worked for um, indirectly for Peter Fitzgerald, um, yeah. which is a full-on race team in Australia, like Porsche one of the racing. kind of premier race teams. Mm. Um, but I guess that sort of just shifts your mindset because once you kind of get to the point where you're um, tracking your car, then I guess you're kind of going, well, that's the pinnacle of performance and you're getting to kind of uh, sort of fully, fully put your car to the test, yep. which then sort of changes, like it probably kind of splits your view as to, well, your street car does this and then your track car does that, yep. which is possibly, you know, like uh, my, my interpretation of um, how it kind of came out for James is that, well, you know, like, a GT3 wasn't kind of quite right because he kind of went all the way to a cup car and then, you know, for a road car, he was after a different experience. Whereas, yeah, um, like if you kind of put, uh, uh, by comparison, if you look at me, it's like, oh, I don't track my car. Um, it always makes me kind of want to when I sort of hear sort of stuff like that. But um, it just means that you kind of have a different set of um, priorities, I think, for your cars. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. And it's interesting how he talks about school level and outdriving the car. You know, you just outdrive mm. it. And, and and to put it into perspective, James has been driving cars since he was racing minis when he was younger, and then his yeah. own cup cars. He talked about two of the cup cars in the vid- in the podcast. At the end of the podcast, he alluded to the fact that he also ha- had owned another one. So he a- had yep. actually owned three cup cars. Um, yep. And, you know, I both quite the, the the two that he talks about are both really well-known cup cars and one he sold to a guy in um the u.s um but yeah. i think it's interesting how he says the gt3 is soft you know what i mean on the track he finds it soft but then it's also yeah. based on your school level right it's also based on your driver's school level and eventually you will outdrive the car and eventually you need something better and it kind of makes sense why he would have a cup car because of his school level and because of the fact that he absolutely you know, enjoys doing yep. those track days um yep and then he well, bought you that. Put it, so put put that in context to say, like you and I, like neither of us have um, sort of done track days. Like I've been on a track when I used to kind of work on car accounts. I used to sort of do sort of pretty pissy kind of. It's more like defensive driving type stuff. So it wasn't really kind of proper track things. I've always always been very curious. Always been very tempted. Everybody's always sort of said to me, "Hey, you know, like." We're doing a day kind of come out sort of thing, and I've always just avoided it a little bit out of fear, to be honest. Um, yeah, fear of getting the bug, fear of the cost of you know all of that sort of stuff um, in terms of tires, brakes, 
then getting a real bug and wanting to kind of, you know, sort of do it quite regularly, which then means, you know, you're getting into this whole thing of modifying your car because you want it to kind of be better for the track and then all of a sudden it's not usable for the street. Yeah, true, true. So, I guess I guess that means you need to start somewhere and I guess I think hmm. the idea of getting a Boxster as a track car. Yeah. Um, and I know the I Boxster really probably gives us and you know, I don't really think about Boxster as a track car and probably a silly comment I made in the podcast, but I don't know, just because it's a convertible, I think, why would you want a convertible as a track car? But I know a lot of people use the Boxster as a track car and you can still get really cheap ones if you look for a high mileage one. And if you're going to redo it and and tweak it for the track and get all the right parts and components and your R-spec tires and all that for the track and change the suspension, then maybe the Boxster is a good proposition. But, you know, it's I still think it's a mid-engine car, so it's got sort of uh, more neutral and easier kind of handling traits. But I sort of look to be honest, even like for me, like a dude with a kind of GT3, so you kind of and you know somebody who's very enthusiastic about his car. My guess is that most people are kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, he probably knows how to pedal a car. I was like, mm, no, I, I don't. I reckon, but I you reckon know I'd to... be quite embarrassed if I kind of you know sort of went out with a whole bunch of enthusiastic people, you'd probably find that I was quite rubbish on the track. And there's a little bit of kind of ego involved because you kind mm. of go, well, you drive a GT3, but I'd probably be quite crap. So like, um, I'd imagine that if I ever kind of made it out um, onto a track, I'd love for it to kind of be more like a private day where, you know, somebody I know who's kind of good on the track kind of gave me a bit of coaching and tuition from the passenger seat and all yeah. that sort of stuff, as opposed to, you know, like imagine just kind of launching into, you know, like a Porsche club sort of day, uh, even if you kind of run with all the amateurs, like the, you know, sort of track virgins kind of thing. Mm. I think there's still just that sort of um, uh, thing about it where you kind of go, well, for me, for example, like if you're in a GT3, then surely you kind of know what you're doing. It's like, mm, I don't think I do. <laughs> Which is why I think that yeah, it's hard at first, like anything. Mm. You know what I mean? But you I still learn. think you got to start from somewhere. I think to learn though, you wouldn't do it in your GT3. I think you would, you know, say that, you know, you and I buy a track car and we share it. You know what I mean? Like I think it has to be I think a track car to me, because of the costs and because you don't use it all the time, and if you're gonna go to a track with a friend, maybe you get a boxster. Maybe you just fix it up and it's a track car that you use, you know, one or two friends or three friends or whatever. And then you go mm. and do these days together, so you got the support. You know what I mean? Um, and Bit you cold use, though. Like you'd, you'd actually like. And I think they're perfectly those, honest. But then, Steve, you would get. I, the skills. I'd have to go and. Yeah, but you'd have to go and do one first to see if it's worth going to buy a car. So. Good point. Good so point. you're not going to go and buy. <laughs> you're not going to go and invest thousands. Like you just go. You got to just go and find a day where you sort of feel comfortable. Um, and for me, that's not in a kind of you know, a crowd of sort of, you know, sort of massive kind of track rats. For me, it would need to be a kind of quieter day where I sort of had time to kind of just work my way through it and have, like, as an example, Grant from Autohouse um, had often sort of said, yeah, yeah, you know, like he'd kind of um, coach me a little bit, but, you know, he's a busy man, so. You should take um, him up on the offer, though. I mean, I, yeah, I, this, is why, this is why I was thinking um, in Bahrain that I'd, because the go-kart track is now reopened in the international yeah, yeah, yeah. circuit, that I would yeah. do the go-kart days and just do the go-kart just yeah, for the lines fun. and stuff. You know what I mean? So I yep. thought yep. that's a good introduction. You get a feel of whether you you know, you know like that sort of thing. I mean, obviously the go-karts are going to feel a lot faster on the ground and whatever, but I think that's probably a good way to start. 
Um, but then there's also the Porsche Club things that all the Porsche clubs in the world have where you, you know, you can do those various days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and I notice a lot of people that start that off are actually in boxers. A lot of people seem to be in boxers. But then a lot of people are just using their car, their 993 or their GT3. But you're right. When you own a GT3, it's kind of like, you know, you know how to, you know how to handle it. But I think on the road, though, you do, because when I'm following you, and I don't know whether this is the confidence that you have from being in a GT3 and because it's so sticky and because it's, you know, set yeah. up in that way. But, you know, yeah. I think when I'm, even when I'm following you on, on, on the roads and stuff, I still f- feel that your, you know, your driving school is much better than mine, much better. No, that's the car. That's, it's the tyres. And, uh, again, like if I was in, um, you know, something like a, a WRX or a, you know, like a current sort of Audi S3 or something like that, um, I'd be going quicker than that. It's just, the, the uh, or even like a newer career or something like that, um, yeah. I reckon you'd be kind of going heaps quicker because you, you have all the kind of stability control and all of those sorts of things. Um, you just have a lot more confidence. But anyway, that's slightly kind of different thing. It's interesting, though, to start thinking about it, you know, and start looking at it. And it was interesting hearing James talk about it because, like, he's had so much experience and because he's owned cup cars mm. and he's and he's also had that, the GT3, he owned a GT3 that was a wrecked GT3 that he fixed up for the track as well. Um, yep. Yep. So, you know, he's had, he's driven lots of cars on the track. So it was actually, it was actually a good insight. I actually enjoyed yeah, talking really to him. He's a really nice guy and it was a really good insight. So thanks for doing that, James, because I know you've been listening to this. Um, so that yep. gets me on to Porsche Good Owner Story, Steve. Um, I'm still looking for people. I know, I, I think what it is, I think people are a little bit hesitant to contact me about it. And I think people are a little bit scared that their story is not going to be cool enough. It doesn't matter what story you have. It's just talking about your Porsche. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's, it's just everyday, you know, people like us, everyday people talking about their car. Like what Steve and I do on the podcast here. It's just the same thing, Steve, right? So anyone that's got a, a Porsche, doesn't have to be a 911. I keep saying that. Um, just contact me. Um, there could be some people who wanted to be on it and I've somehow missed them in all the DMs that I get. So just remind me if I haven't got back to you um, and um, I will sort that out. Normally by this time of the week, Steve, I've already recorded the one for next week. This week because mm. of traveling, I haven't actually recorded it. Um, I do have two people lined up, hopefully, who will... I will be recording in the next few days or over the weekend, so hopefully I'll have something for next Tuesday. I'm trying to get another one up for next Tuesday, but I've been a little bit slack this week. I've just been caught up. Um, yeah, cool. The other thing is, uh, shout out to our Porsche Cooled Exclusive members. Um, I normally do this at the beginning of the podcast, but we have one new member of Porsche Cooled Exclusive. Um, I don't know much about this person. I don't know what he drives or if he has a Porsche. Um, so you can let me know. Just send me a message um, on Patreon. Um, but it's... I don't know how to pronounce this properly either. It's Misha, um, Misha, I think, M-I-S-J-A, Misha. Misha. Yeah, I think it's Misha. But thanks, Misha. Thanks for joining um, Porsche Cool Exclusive. Uh, Porsche Cool Exclusive is at Patreon. So you go to patreon.com slash Porsche Cooled. Um, and then you it's $5 US a month or whatever your local currency is. It'll just convert it for you. And you get 24 hours early access to all episodes. Um, you get shout-out in this podcast. And you'll also get... Um, well, you can message me and I'll chat with you if you if you need any information. I don't have all the information about Porsche, but I can at least chat and, and try and help. And eventually, Steve and I will do some uh, live streaming Q&As when we have a few more members. Um, but Porsche Cooled Exclusive on Patreon is basically just to help us uh, keep talking, keep chatting, and to um, upgrade our gear eventually. Um, and what else? Uh, that was it. 
we had another review on Apple Podcasts, uh, I think, and I okay. found out it was actually from Flat Cap Driver. So thank you, um, Ajmal, for the review on Apple Podcasts. It was a good one. Thank you for that. I uh, appreciate it. Um, those reviews on Apple um, actually get a scene on Apple. There's a lot of podcasts on Apple. So the reviews and ratings that you guys give, if you haven't done it already, um, it would be really great if you could go to Apple and just um, just give us a rating or give us a rating and a review. It just pushes us up so it comes up in the search results more for when people are looking for Porsche podcasts. Um, so that's basically what that does. Now, I had another message, Steve, from um, mm. David in Australia. Uh, David has contacted me before. David lives in Sydney and he owns a mm-hmm. Carrera T, silver Carrera T, which is very, very nice, David. You've got a really nice yeah, car there. Um, and he told me his friend went to Porsche Willoughby um, and he wanted to order a Carrera S in manual. Yep. And they said, nope, not possible. Uh, not possible because Porsche Australia has decided that it's only going to provide, a, a, it's only going to have the GTS in manual. It's not going to allow the Carrera S to be optioned in manual. All oh, right. So anyway. even though, yeah, even though other countries are doing it, UK, I'm not sure. I was, when, uh, when I was looking at this, I didn't actually do the search to find out for sure, Steve, but I'm not sure if the Carrera, the base Carrera is available manual. I think Porsche in the rest of the world is only offering the Carrera S in manual. I think. I think I read somewhere that people said if you want the manual, you have to. I saw a review on YouTube, I think, that if you want the manual, you have to get a Carrera S. Right. I know, like, uh, as a reference point, the new BMW, the horrible walrus face grill-looking thing. Um, yep. The, the lesser model is the one that's only available in manual, I think. Right. So it's funny because you kind of see that when um, car makers are sort of trying to still um, supply manual cars to like the sort of enthusiast kind of base, um, that uh, they are kind of a bit more specific or they must be kind of calculating which model is sort of more um, popular or not. So I'm guessing that manuals are um, sold in far lesser numbers, but my theory. kind of weird. My theory was, you know, people always say the GTS is just a variant of the Carrera S, right? It's just a option added variant of the S, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. debate. I'm wondering yep. if Porsche is trying to think, and maybe this is Porsche Australia, I thought maybe they're trying to align it more with the GT models, you know? So the GT3, for example, will be available in manual. The GTS is available in manual, but the Carrera S isn't. So they're, they're trying to realign it so it's more a motorsport-inspired thing, the GTS, and have that in manual, that's why they don't have the S in manual. I think they're going to lose money by doing it. I think, yeah, I, I don't, don't know, unless, so, people, really. unless people are optioning PDK now, most people option PDK and it's still the most popular one, which I guess it is in yeah. Carrera S's, right? I guess PDK is probably the most popular transmission. Yeah, um, de- oh, definitely. I mean, PDK, um, you know, like when they dropped the um, manual option in the 991 GT3, they were sort of saying that based on kind of the statistics, um, which was, I, I can't even remember what it was, but it was huge. It was sort of like, you know, um, I'm going to misquote the number, but I think it was something like, you know, 80% of people kind of um, go for a PDK. So that's the reason why, like, most cars are kind of auto these days. But, um, you know, like, it's good that a brand like Porsche kind of still maintains manual. It's just weird that... Um, that if you wanted to go shopping for what is still like a what three hundred thousand dollar car, like a Carrera, yeah, plus 
Um, you should still be able to get a manual on that. That's a bit kind of yeah, bit I weird. But I think it's weird. I think it's weird. If you want a manual, you should be able to get it. Obviously, it's to do with production. It's obviously to do with their production line. But I don't know. You'd think Carrera S's and GTS's would go down the same production line. You wouldn't think it'd be a big deal to put a PDK well, transmission in or put a manual transmission in to me. If Porsche globally, like, you know, if the factory are kind of making them, oh, like, true. All, yeah. all the cars are sort of made to order anyway. It's not like um, the old days where you kind of buy like a shitload of, they make a shitload of cars, sort of say this is Australia's allocation, and then they have to kind of divvy them up uh, between right. the dealers. So it's a Porsche... Yeah. Porsche Australia has made that decision based on the orders that they receive, I guess. So basically in Australia, yeah. the Carrera S is predominantly PDK, so they don't want to offer the option. You still think they would offer it, though. You're right. It's on the production line. Yeah. It's available in other countries. I understand if the Carrera, yeah. the base Carrera, is not available in manual. But I thought that was interesting, David, saying that because his mate wanted to, um, to buy one um, and basically has to get the GTS. And you know the GTS, you pay quite a premium from the S to the GTS, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Quite a lot. Yep. In Australia, I think yep. it's, what, 40 grand or something? 30 or 40 grand on top of the Carrera S. So it's not it's not a small amount of money, you know what I mean, to get a manual. Um, You'd sort of also think that um, in that, if you were kind of shopping for a new kind of Carrera, Carrera S, um, there's not that many kind of cars in that sort of sector that would kind of come in a manual. So, like, from a, from a commercial perspective, you would have thought that... Um, Porsche, there's an opportunity there for them to kind of nab like anybody yep. that's in that sort of price range. Exactly. Um, because if you don't offer so it, they they might go somewhere else, right? They might go, well, I don't want to spend BMW another 30. Go for yeah. M3 or something. Yeah, I don't but, want to spend you know. any more money. I want to buy my first Porsche, yep. but I want manual and I can't yep. get it. I've got to spend, you know, yep. $50,000 more. So I, I, think it's a, I think it's a silly decision. I really do. I think it's a stupid decision. I mean, I wonder if it would be a deal breaker for some people. I think like... You know, if I had that sort of money and um, blah, 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 uh, because I sort of like um, just the experience of manual, I probably would walk away from it if I couldn't get a... Yeah. If I couldn't get a manual and I could only get a PDK and I'd hit the limit of um, the budget that I had to spend. Yeah, true, true. Maybe maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they'll release it and then eventually release a, a manual in the Carrera S. Maybe... Yeah. But I, d- I doubt it, though. I mean, if would they do that just at launch? I don't think so. You'd offer both transmissions at launch. Unless yeah. it's a 991.2. I don't know when this manual's coming out in Australia. I don't even... When's the GTS due to be released around the world? Beginning know, of next they, year? They, they did sort of say when the 992 got released that um, like the it was PDK first and that the manual options um, were yeah. sort of later down the line. But it just sounds like if you can't get it full stop because Australia is only going to bring the GTS in, that's odd. Yep. And that was direct from Porsche Willoughby in, in Sydney, which is a main dealer. So, yeah. as you know. Yep. Um, the Silverstone auction, did you look at the results? We were talking about that last I didn't. week. You didn't look at it? No, I, I looked at it. I had a quick look and I had a quick look at the were things. They that, well, it seems that, well, I thought most of the Porsches sold. I didn't look at everything. Um, I looked at that yep. SC because, you know, James, after talking about what, what he would yep. buy, it was the SC and he still thinks the SC. He's yep. looking for an SC now. Um, yep. That Japan car, the, the Japanese car, uh, it sold for yep. f- just over 43,000 pounds. And then on top of that, you've got to pay the forty-three thousand. Yeah, and then you've got to pay the fees and the VAT. I think the fees were ten percent or fifteen percent, and the VAT's twenty percent. So literally, it's a right. fifty thousand pound car, ninety thousand dollars Australian. So I guess for, for a pretty okay. good example, SC. That's about what some people are trying to sell their SCs in Australia for at one ten, one twenty. But there are also some yep. for seventy or eighty. I think James said they should be around seventy or eighty, didn't he? I think he mentioned it in the podcast. I can't remember. 
Um, James is a pretty smart buyer, though, in terms of um, he obviously kind of has a bit of the inside because um, of kind of what he does. And yep. you know, I thought it was an interesting perspective, too, because he's um, obviously very mechanical and stuff like that. He's confident. It, I think it's a bit of a different sort of perspective from, say, like you or I kind of buying a car because... Um, if we were to kind of buy something that was wrong with it, we would sort of feel a little bit funny. Whereas he obviously can actively look for something that possibly might have something wrong with it because he knows it. He knows how to fix it. Or he doesn't fix everything right himself. Fix so, yeah, without. that's what he said. He uses the right people. He doesn't do everything himself. Just some things. But I, I, I take, I'd hazard a guess that he'd probably be kind of securing kind of good um, rates in terms of getting his stuff fixed as well. Yep. Yep. Um, um, anyway, the, but but I think. What James, the most important thing with James is you don't, it's this thing, this common thing, which I do all the time. So I'm not really mm. practicing what I preach here. But it's like, don't wait. You know what I mean? Buy the <laughs> nine, and, yeah. and buy the 911 you can afford, buy the Porsche you can afford, which is true, right? That's what he was saying. From the yeah. very beginning when he yeah. bought his first SC from Japan, it was cheap and it needed work, but it was cheap. So you buy what you can afford. Mm. At least you have one. At least you're enjoying it. And then if you make some money on it, then it gives you the opportunity to, to buy up to something better. You know what I mean? So you sell what you have to get something better to keep to keep getting that experience, Steve. You know what I mean? To keep getting that Porsche experience. Like property. Yeah, no, it's but it's a great thing because you keep growing your experience and your skill in driving and you just you know and you're going through, you know, twenty odd cars in, in twenty years or twenty or more cars in twenty years. You know what I mean? Um, kind of what you were doing just, and then you stopped, you know, where you used to buy and sell cars every like eighteen months. Yeah, I was about to say that it's different because um, Porsche values have sort of gone up so much that um, as per James again, who's obviously uh, quite thrifty and sort of quite good at the whole thing, um, mentioned I think that he sort of made money on quite a few of the different cars that he bought. Um, I don't think you could kind of point blank do that on every sort of Porsche, particularly now that they're so so expensive. Yeah. And uh more to the point, like if you kind of just look at cars in general, it's kind of pretty incredible that you actually can make money on them because most cars, as you know, would sort of depreciate. Yeah. They're not appreciating um, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So cars generally aren't an appreciating asset. Um, I remember. I remember when I told my brother years ago, and I said I'm going to buy a 996 GT3, and it's ninety thousand. He said, "You're crazy. Uh-huh. How old is it?" And I said, "You know, it's two thousand whatever model." And yep. he said, you're crazy. You're going to lose money on that. And I said, this is my brother, Tony. And I said, no, no, he's, yeah, he'll yeah. appreciate. He said, cars don't appreciate, mate. Yeah. What cars yeah. appreciate? And you know, yep. in retrospect, there's a really nice silver one, which is about the same condition of the ones I was looking at for sale in Australia at the moment for 179000 So, you know, yep. in the space of less than 10 years, you know, you've doubled your money. Um, yep. So you can make money on them. Look at Jay Leno and his um, McLaren F1. Yeah. But like all these cars that we're talking about are sort of out of the norm kind of thing, you know. Yep. Like, um, so like just that notion of it's sort of like, you know, you buy a one-bedroom unit, then you buy a two-bedroom unit, and then you kind of move to a nice area, and then you buy a house and all that sort of stuff. It's not quite the same as um, that type of thing, I don't think. It's not guaranteed that, you know, you buy any portion that you'll make money on it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this the auction results, that, that SC, hmm. uh, it was estimated, and I... I I wrote it down, but I couldn't find it. But I think it was 30 to 35K. I think it was around 30 to 35K. I had an estimate of. Um, It sold for 43, so above. Um, That could be the power of the SCs at the moment. The people, there seemed to be a lot of, there seems to be a lot of chatter about SCs. I didn't realize if you start looking, people are talking about SCs again. I I don't know why. Maybe it's still one that's reasonably affordable worldwide. So people are looking at it. 
um, compared to the really, you know, the 60s classics and the early 70s ones. Um, the Sport Classic, though, the 997 Sport Classic, Steve, it didn't actually uh-huh. sell. Um, so now they've oh, okay. got a buy for price on it of 287,500 pounds, which was much right. lower than the estimate. I think the estimate was 300,000 plus, wasn't it? For the auction? I can't remember. Because I remember I saying remember. it was about 600,000 Aussie. Anyway, so they're now they're, they've got it at 287,500. So there goes to that point you were saying, you know, do, do people really want the Sport Classic and about how Spike and Zuckerman don't like it? It didn't, it passed in, it didn't sell. I think, yeah, like I sort of said, I said last podcast, I think people like it. It's just how much are they willing to pay how for much? it? Yeah, like, true. That's kind of crazy premium. Um, the two RSs, the other ones uh, I think I mentioned that I think Harry from Harry's Garage said that they were slightly lower than normal prices. The 19, 1973 one, the 2.7 RS Carrera in yellow, sold for 315,000 yep. pounds. Is that a lot comparatively? I think it's know? quite a lot. I think that was, I can't remember what the estimate was, but the 1996, the 993 uh, Carrera RS in speed yellow, it also sold. So the Carrera RS is sold, but that was undisclosed. They didn't tell you how much they sold for. So I reckon that was a shitload. A shitload, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's code for, that was a shitload of money. (laughs) Yeah, so they've hidden the price on that one. And that Club Coupe, you know, the 2013 911 Club Coupe we're talking about, which is one of the 13 built uh, by Porsche to, celebrate the owners club and its original 13 members it actually sold for almost 168 almost 169,000 pounds which is which is a lot yeah but i guess it's only one of 13 so you know it's it's quite rare but it's not that special really i mean the nice color the brewster green but i don't know i don't know if i'd pay that much for that Um, i wouldn't but i wouldn't i'm never gonna have 168 750,000, 750 um, pounds to kind of blow on a car like that. So Yeah, yeah. I'm not the demographic. Um, we're talking about books before, and I'm guessing a lot of you guys have actually um, seen the, the press and, and everything during the week, which was like everywhere, about Porsche Design Studio, uh, which is relevant because it was Michael Maurer who we actually um, talked about his 964, his personal 964, who's the head of Porsche Design. Um, mm-hmm. And the Porsche Unseen Unseen Design Concepts is that what it's called, Steve? Uh, what was it called? I think unseen the Porsche was Porsche Unseen. Porsche Unseen is the book. Yeah, so you should look at that book. Yep. I'm going to buy it. I think Steve's going to buy it. It's about 68 euro. Um, I think I read something in Michael Maurer said he said that it's not like we it's not like when you do these concepts that you intend to build all of them. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I guess it's, it's just part of the design process. Yeah. It's part of the design process, right? Yep. And the book is really nice in, because... In terms of they just sort of do like a whole bunch of kind of studies and um, it sort of informs the kind of um, design language. So some of them kind of influence um, the cars of the future. Um, some of them wind up being show cars and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know, just from a visual aesthetic point of view, um, they're unreal to look at. Like so interesting to kind of look at all of that sort of stuff, but... Um, I don't think you have to kind of be sort of designy to kind of appreciate it. I think lots of kind of car heads um, certainly kind of enjoy it as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a few car. I don't know whether they're showing everything in the book. I mean, I looked at the posts on Car Magazine and the one from Evo that you sent me, uh, Alpha yeah. Spot, it's got the thing about the, they're selling the book. Um, the book car yeah. Throttle as well has the images. I quite like the um, 904 Living Legend one that was done in 2013. Yep. Which kind of looks a bit yep. Caymanish, 
at the front. Like it almost looks like it's a Cayman platform or something. I quite like the yep. look of that. I think that would have been not a bad car if they if they did produce it. Um, yep. And then you notice they've got the 911 Vision Safari in 2012. So for the yeah. 991, they were actually looking at the Safari concept. And now we, both, we all know, because we spoke about it in a previous episode, um, that they had the spy shots online of the one with the white guards. And if you look at this car, 911 Vision Safari, Steve, it looks similar, right? Yep. It looks like this is yeah, possibly how they could do the 992. So maybe that is coming in this kind of format. Which is not really super safari, is it? It's just a little bit more. It's more uh, all road, sort of like is. you said. More yeah, a bit like Audi all road sort of type thing, which not really my cup of tea, to be honest. But don't know. I think it looks quite good with the livery, with the red and the blue, and and the livery on it looks quite good. The lights on the roof, I think, are a bit. I don't know if I like that. And it's got the spoiler at the back, so it's a bit GT three ish. Yeah, spoiler's but, a bit weird, I reckon. I mean, the rumor is if they do it, they'll base it on the Carrera four. But maybe it won't be based yeah. on a Carrera 4. Maybe it's based on the GT3. Who knows? Um, nah, that'd be mental. Why, why would you have a pumped up GT3? That's crazy. <laughs> and the bread van. Did you like the bread van? The service, Vision Service yeah, uh, yeah, 2018. Yeah. That was that quite cool. Great. Yeah, the little bread yeah, van very... is pretty cool to redo that. They should have done that. Really slick. It's interesting. There was uh, also... Mm, go on. There was the one that sort of looked like a four-door... I think it informed the design of the Taycan... Uh, uh, what's that one called? The four door nine eleven, almost, wasn't it? Uh, what's it called? A nine o nine sixty Turismo. Oh, Vision Turismo. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool, Vision actually. Turismo, that's it. Uh, Vision yeah. Turismo, which was done in twenty sixteen. I don't know. Is that would that be part of the the idea when they were doing the um, yeah the Taycan <laughs> and the one? What did they call the Taycan? The concept? I can't remember what they called it now. Oh, what's it's the one Mission that's e. um, coming e. up next. Yeah, but it's also like the um, Panamera Sport Turismo um, in terms of the the styling for the back of it. I really like it. Looks quite kind of cool. It looks sort of spiderish, doesn't it? it? Looks a bit nine one eight spiderish in a way or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a really oh. nine. That that one is the Vision Turismo twenty sixteen. So that was done four years ago. I think what's interesting about yeah. this, Steve, though, is the years that they were done. These concepts. You know what I mean? Mm. Like. Even if you look at the Safari. Because they're well in advance of what kind of comes out now. Yeah, and even the Vision Safari, you know, it's 2012. And I just say they do bring it out. That's 2020, so eight yeah. years later. They were already doing studies yep. on it in 991, and then they eventually bring it out in the next generation, 992. Um, yep. But I think it would be a good book. I'm going to get the book. It's not that expensive. Um, and I like the idea of the book because we, we like the person who took the photographs, which was Stefan Bonnier. So I, I was going to say, like, I think it would be pretty cool. about it. Well, all of these are all of these pictures. I'm on the Instagram kind of thing. All right. I, I couldn't quite tell if they were all photographs of um, sort of scale models, or whether some of it is possibly also um, uh, CGI renderings. Because uh, um, well, I think they built them, didn't they? No, I don't know if they're all built. Oh, I reckon okay. some of them might actually be renderings as well. Yeah, the um, vision, the vision spider looks like a rendering. Some, you're right. Some of them look like look like renderings. But I was going to say, like this probably gets a little bit boffany in terms of graphic design land, um, and yeah. you know, kind of what you do as well. But um, just how good CGI is now, where <laughs> yeah. you can't actually pick whether something is a photograph or not. Yeah. I mean, Porsche have the money to have the best people, the best 3D designers, but, yeah, you're right. It, it's hard to tell 
what is real and what it's is getting so hard to tell. Like I used to work on car accounts, and I just um, in the old days um, you had to kind of shoot cars, and you know there were a whole raft of really great photographers that kind of would specialize in it. Blah 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 blah. And then there was this turning point where um, brands used to turn over their kind of CAD drawings to people to then. So, like, car photographers lost a lot of their work, right. um, which was a bit of a shame because it was such a um, such an amazing craft. But like, all these all these images look amazing. It's so well done. I wonder if the, in the book they tell you the ones that have been produced, if they've actually made the car, or if it's just a study. I reckon they probably would, because sometimes, like, I'm looking at a picture of the nine seventeen Living Legend, and it says here that it was a clay model in one to one scale. Um, so then that's obviously like a photograph of it. But it looks like the bread van was made. Mm. I don't know, because the backdrop could just be the backdrop and it's still the 3D, right? You wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know, actually. I hope they say that in the book. Um, maybe we can it's great stuff. It. Yeah, really, it's very good. Really, really nice design, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's called Unseen uh, Porsche Unseen. It's a book. Um, it's available pretty much everywhere. It's on Amazon. I saw it was on Amazon, but it's sold out. But go to Alpha Spot. Alpha Spot have it. Um, and the designer is that German designer, which I can't present, the German publisher, which I can't never pronounce the name of it. Oh, okay. If um, this is the future design language of kind of Porsche cars, then um, it'll be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, you don't really see that many 992s, or actually I, I don't go out much, so maybe it's actually more me, but I haven't seen that many 992s in the flesh um, in Sydney. Right. Um and I must admit, I'm still not convinced. I mean, I know like um, Spike and Spike and that crew sort of said the same thing that when they first saw yeah. um, Nine and Two in pictures, they weren't really sure. But like, it's kind of grown on them. Um, I'm still mm. in the I'm really not sure phase. Like, I love the interior, but I'm really unsure of the back. The yeah, back I was. I was too. The first one I saw was in um, when we were in Porto. When Tash and I were in Porto, like last year, yeah. middle of last year. And it was a carmine red one. in London? It was a carmine red one, the first one I saw. And we were on a, the old bridge yeah. there in Porto walking across and it was, the traffic was stopped. So I had an opportunity to, to really have a good look at it. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's your field of view and the level you're at and, and the environment. Yeah. But it, the back, I was the same. I thought the back was hideous. But it actually doesn't look that bad. It actually looks better yeah, right. in real life. Um, I have seen some in London, yeah. I have seen some in London. I haven't been walking around in London recently, so I haven't seen that many. Um, I've yeah. seen, I saw the 992 Cabriolet in Bahrain the other day when I went to buy my watch. It was in, in the car park of the mall. Um, yep. So that was a silver Cabriolet. And I thought the Cabriolet, the shape of the new cab was absolutely beautiful. Um, the line of the roof and and the that taught the roof how tight the roof was and and how it, the line just goes through Steve like it just so seamless you know what I mean? Bit I thought more speedster looking or yeah and it looks really fat. I don't know what it is about that yeah. cab, but it even looks fatter than the coupe because of the the the, the soft top. Um, so it looked really I'm really usually wide. going against your sort of thing. I'm sort of not really a fan of um, 911 cabs. Always sort of find the proportion to look quite kind of weird and bulky, but. I think no doubt this is the best one. I thought they did mm. quite a good job on the 991 cab. I thought the roof was actually quite nice on the on the 991, the, the line yep. of it. I can't explain what they did, but the line of it to me looked so much better than the, the 997. But, yep. yeah, the 992, I think they've just tweaked it that little bit more and it really does look um, fantastic. I would yeah, still cool. probably do a Targa over, over a cab. I would still probably go Targa. 
even though it's heavier I or whatever. Too. I just like the idea yep. of a Targa better for me. Yep. Um, and if I bought mm. a cab, it'd be an old 996 or something like that. Something cheap, something cheap, 30 grand, 40 grand. Um, <laughs> how's it going? I want to ask you about, because um, I don't think we've yeah. updated everyone. How's it going with your friend and his 911 search? So he was searching for an air-cooled and then he thought he wanted a GT3. Um, what's happening there? Where is he at? Uh, I don't want to blow his news. I don't know. Like, okay. I don't know what's going on, but he um, he flicked back. So after we sort of um, went to kind of visit Alex Holland, and I thought that he kind of went back to air cooled, um, his air cooled sort of priorities. Right. Um, he flicked back, and he sort of realised that. Um, that going back to like a 964, 993 or even older than that, I think he sort of said to me just basically, I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase that, I think he felt that they were a little bit sort of, not not ratty, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I think he said that his standards were sort of too high compared to the kind of quality that he was after in the car. Um, so I don't know... I think he's 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 got two little kids, so I'm assuming he's probably got some sort of family truckster as a sort of daily thing. Right. And this is going to be his one kind of fun car. Right. But he basically said to me that he was going to flick back to looking at um, 996 Turbos because he felt like he wanted to kind of go for more performance. Um, so in the kind of budget that he was looking for, um, he was actually back in 996 Turbo sort of land and um he sent me a he sent me a couple or he's telling me about a couple that he was sort of eyeing up and i think he might be getting quite close to it oh, 996 turbo is nice they're not cheap though you're still looking yeah, at, yeah, you're yeah. still looking at mid 100 right 150 from manual so <laughs> again manual. like i think we mentioned yeah, yeah. manual manual if you're going, um, turbo. yeah manuals the uh, they're not that not that easy to find, um, but I think he sort of kind of stumbled across a couple, and they look pretty good. I mean, I uh, I, I sort of said to him like, I reckon you'd be a very happy camper. Um, like, um, I'm pretty sure that you can kind of look past the sort of design or the interior, the quality of the interior once you're kind of driving the thing. And the first thing look... you do is get the PCCM Plus unit. Replace it. Yeah, actually, he's into his music, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does something like that. I saw the um, one in Melbourne. Actually, has he? Have you looked? Has he looked at the one in Melbourne? The one that's one fifty. I think there's one for one forty nine, which is not that bad for low kilometers. It's a silver which one. Which color? Silver one. Silver, and it's parked yeah. against a wall. There's two silver ones, yeah, but this yeah, was yeah. the one with the slightly better lower kilometers. Yep. That yep. one is nice. That's one forty nine, yep. I think. One forty nine. Yep. Which is actually probably pretty good price, considering a lot of other people have put similar ones up for one sixty five with similar kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd take that um, one. I'd take that one. That one's a great one. It's interesting because I think same same deal. Like you know, at the end of the day, like what year was that? About two thousand and what it'll be like a two thousand and three or two thousand four or something. He's like getting that. a point two, right? So two thousand and three, two thousand and four. I mean, there's 2001, 2000, point ones. Yeah. But you want the point two so, in the turbo, look, I think. Still a 17-year-old car, so, you know, like, it's not going to be perfect and it's going to need some sort of kind of maintenance and all that sort of stuff. You know, he was he was just asking me my opinion about um, things like um, uh, PPI because um, I bought my GT3 from Melbourne as well and how I kind of went about it. Um, 
I think it's sort of interesting. I think I suggested to you that that might be a topic for a podcast if people are vaguely interested in terms of the process of kind of yeah. searching for and then negotiating a car. The thing is, does the PPI have the amount of power that it used to? Can you still, if you get a PPI done and then all these things show up that the seller hasn't told you about, whether it be a mm. dealer or a private seller, have mm. you got much negotiating power with that? Or are I people just do. stuck in there because it's a portion now? People are going, well, you know, it's worth this much. I'm not, I'm not re- reducing it. You know, like these ads on car sales and whatever other car site. It seems to be more mm. in Australia. Mm. You know, not negotiable. Don't send me any lowball offers. Don't don't offer me less than this. I'm not accepting anything. Which I think is like when I see an ad like that, like I I, I look at the next ad. Puts you off. It puts yeah. me off. Doesn't it put you off? It's like yeah. if you're selling something, you have to be open to offers. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that yeah, very. I, I know that it, very well. It, trying to sell this apartment at the moment, you know, I got another really lowball offer yesterday. Um, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's like yeah. you have to still be open, even though it's going to annoy you. You can't say, you know, that's it. I'm not selling it for any less than this. Well, that's the very reason why people are kind of saying it. But I think there's probably it. It doesn't. It doesn't get you off on the right foot in terms of kind of the whole sort of selling and buying process, I suppose. But I guess people kind of get the shits with getting lowballed all the time as well. But, yeah, but to answer I- your question, I reckon a PPI, I mean, I know, again, like um, James on your um, Porsche story sort of suggested that, um, well, in his instance, PPI, he wasn't sort of um, as a stickler for it, but again, but he has I think got because of his background. Yeah, but he yeah. has taken PPIs. He said, and an SC, he said, yeah, you, would get I, a, you would get a PPI just so you don't have to do, so you know if it's a top end rebuild or not because of the issue with the SCs. Yeah. So I, I guess yeah. it, he's more sort of specific to the model, I guess. Yeah, um, I'd look. I, I'd still kind of go, yeah, like particularly because it's at the end of the day, like. These days, any Porsche is going to be a significant amount of money. And unless you kind of really know what you're looking at with your own eyes, if you kind of crawl underneath a car, I know you can look at service history and all that sort of stuff, but um, I would want to get, kind of have it sort of checked out if you're talking, you know, like 100,000 plus. Um, mm. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of reasonable enough to kind of go, uh, this is the conversation I was having with my mate too. It's like, well, do you do, you do a PPI before or after you've um, negotiated, like, the basic kind of price? I think and before, like you said, you do it before, right? In my book, um, yeah, you need to want to... You want to know that you're on the same page on price before you go and do a PPI because if you're kind of miles apart, then you're basically kind of hosing, you know, 600 so, bucks. So I can't remember what you said, but... So you would say, okay, mm-hmm. you're looking for a GT3, you found it in Melbourne, you say, I'm going to offer you yep. 100... I, I'll give you one hundred and fifty thousand for that GT three. Yep. I'm gonna. I want to do a PPI. I'll give you a thousand dollars deposit now. Then I'll do the PPI. Pending PPI. Then I'll do yep. a PPI. And my cost, of course. Yep. And then, yep. but if anything serious comes up in the PPI, then we need to discuss yep. how to how, exactly. how to adjust the price. What happens now? Are you willing? Yeah, to, you and then you. Sort of say but then, that. do you say, are you willing to do that? But do you make sure the buyer's willing to do that before you do it? Because if he says, well, it doesn't yeah. make any difference, mate, you get the PPI and it has work done, this is my price, I've accounted for anything that comes up for you. No, because I don't think anybody, like maybe I'm a bit soft or whatever, but, you know, when I've sold cars, like when I sold my 1M, um, it, it works both ways because as a seller, I kind of expected that. You know, like if you're selling a nice car, 
um, and an enthusiast kind of oriented car, then I'm half expecting that somebody's going to want to do a PPI on the car that I'm about to sell. So, yeah. Um, and you, you sort of know what the position is. Like, you know, you'll know like what's good and bad about your own car or whatever else. Like, you know, it should be somebody independent kind of checking the car out. Um, and yeah, so you'd basically go, well, this is the price that I'm offering you. I'm happy to kind of give you a deposit. It's pending a PPI. Let's just see what the PPI kind of comes up with um, and sort of take it from there. And then, you know, like in my in my world, I think you've either got, you do the PPI, if something really bad kind of comes up, then you have the ability to walk away from it. Um, you, yeah, true. Depending on what you negotiate with your seller, you possibly can lose all or a portion of your deposit or if they're kind of really good about it they might give it back to you but i would be prepared to kind of lose what's you know, the maximum a deposit? couple hundred dollars what's the maximum deposit you would normally give that people would accept it's between you and the seller um obviously as a buyer you want to give them as little yeah, as, as possible, little as possible but, right um yeah. i guess when i bought my car from um from the dealer in sydney hmm. i probably didn't need to get a ppi done because he had no, actually... I he did. No, but remember he had no, that thing he which he sent me, which was at Porsche Centre South Sydney, and they'd actually done a check of everything. And yeah. there were items, and then he used that. There were items that came to a certain amount, which was overinflated compared to what Order House fixed them yeah, for. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And he said, I can yep. either... I can take this price off and I can get them fixed for you at, Cent- yes. at Porsche Centre South Sydney, or you can get them fixed yep. at Order House Hamilton or your dealer, uh, and yep. then you... Then I'll take the... I'll adjust the price accordingly. Um so that's the reason why he, you know, made out like he gave me that discount because basically, you know, sure. I was going to get them fixed can, and he didn't have to pay for it. And I think nothing really... Can you really... remember off the top of your head, did, did Auto House's PPI come up with anything different from the South Sydney inspection? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I'm not... I can't, because I think... Yeah. Like, I'm extra conservative when it comes to buying a car because I'm not mechanical, so therefore that's why I see the value in the PPI. But I see, like, um, somebody servicing your car is not, to me, not exactly the same as um, somebody kind of doing a proper kind of inspection on it. Yeah. Like, so, and that that that's sort of why I asked that question, I suppose. Yeah, good point, but, actually, because um, it, was, it wasn't a PPI that uh, Porsche Centre South Sydney did. It was a... It, no, was that's a, just the last in, service. it was a service. Well, it was a. It wasn't a service actually. It wasn't a service. Mm. Yeah, they did. They changed the oil, I think, and then in that they made them do a check of what was outstanding that had to be done, yeah. but they didn't pay for it. Yeah. Um. And the dealer in Sydney actually did that. It wasn't the previous owner. It wasn't yep. done by the previous owner. It was done by them. So. But anyway, I remember you. I think I remember in either you were talking about it in one of your owner stories or something prior where um, in an ideal world, if you're kind of looking at a car um, and you've kind of got the stack of kind of service history things, in an ideal world, it's a little bit like I think Autohouse do it quite thoroughly now. They'll tell you what um, what yep. maintenance items they can sort of see that don't need to be done, but they they anticipate like, you know, might be kind of needed in the next year or, you know, yeah. like it's going to be an upcoming thing. So when you then go back through somebody's service history and you can see all of that sort of stuff, then you've kind of got a good idea and then maybe you might sort of be less yeah. but reliant that was, on the PPI. But that was the biggest problem with my car, as you know. There was no service. Yeah. There was no paperwork. Yeah. 
The guy yeah. had no paperwork. Yeah. There was no paperwork. I asked for it. I said, can you check with the owner? Apparently the owner didn't have anything. I don't know who doesn't keep any type of paperwork whatsoever so that I actually had nothing. That was the only downside with my car, which I probably never mentioned before. But there was no, yeah. as you know, there was nothing. There was the logbook. Yeah. There was a service thing and stamps. But there's yeah. no actual physical paperwork. Um, so, I mean, there is now for me, for the next owner, if I sell it. Yeah. You know, that was that was something that I wasn't 100% sure about. You remember the time, the two things I wasn't 100% yeah, yeah, sure totally with the wheels and the fact that it didn't have any any paper any paperwork, any full service but, receipts or anything like that. Um, but everything uh, else was okay. It, it can be a bit harrowing kind of thing. Well, not harrowing, so it's a bit melodramatic. But I remember when um, with my car, um, they noted that there was a small, well, there was literally on the paperwork, it was like RMS leak. And it's like, oh, shit. Is that, is that good or bad? And it's not until you kind of get somebody to explain it to you and they sort of said, look, you know, like they all do that. It's a little bit of weeping. Um, but the thing about my car, sorry, to round that story out, was that it was still under factory warranty, so right, it right. could be fixed anyway. Yeah, that was good. But um, you do need to, I don't know, like I just sort of think it's much better that you kind of know everything about it, that somebody's kind of spent a couple of hours looking over it as thoroughly as possible and... Sometimes those PPIs can sort of feel like when you kind of get like three pages back, um, you go, oh, shit, there's, you know, this car's no good. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 it's not that. It's just that somebody's so eagle-eyed that they're wanting to point yeah. out absolutely everything that's wrong with it. But you need to talk to them about what actually is a problem and what isn't a problem because you then also have to factor in, say, with my mate's car, it's like, well, that's a 17-year-old car, so it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like you get, you know, clip missing in front trunk yeah. you know what i mean clip carpet clip missing here this clip missing yeah. you know, little tiny things which cost or, a couple of dollars which i replaced with the ones that were missing you know what i mean i got the auto house yeah, to do yeah. them. Or they're just a couple of little things that like a couple of dollars you know so it's not a big but it's all listed yeah. down so it looks like you got all this this stuff that's wrong exactly with your car but it's not that much auto house noted on both our cars the um the fuel yeah door the last services which like you're looking at it saying like, so i can't <laughs> even see the crack in mine i still can't see it <laughs> yeah but, but, I, but again, I bought the part. Like, it's just better to know it. Yeah, yeah. it's better to know it. Yeah, true, true. Because you, you don't want it falling off, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Yeah. I think we're gonna. I think what we'll do is we're gonna. I think we need to do an episode about that actually about buying and selling Porsches or cars because you have yeah. a lot of experience and we maybe we should talk about it in depth. It's almost like half an episode there, and I think we've started it today, but um, we're over time. Yeah, so. sorry. We're at yep. um, we're at about one minute fourteen. Everyone knows I like to keep this to one hour. I don't want you guys to get bored and, and stop listening. <laughs> listening to the mumbling. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks, Steve. No worries. Um, have a good week. Yeah, you too. I guess you can't get it out much, can you? you what, does, what, what are you – you're locked down, right? You can't. Yeah, but I told you we don't have to quarantine, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't tell you? Oh, before I no. left Bahrain, I got a message from Nick and he said the news has just come through that you don't um, – Bahrain is now on the exempt list um, for UK. Oh, okay, cool. So we didn't have to quarantine for two weeks. So quarantining for two weeks, you can't really leave the house. So now we're not yep. on quarantine, but we're under the lockdown rule of the UK where you can only go out for essential, for food and whatever. You can exercise once a day, I think. Um, but yep. no, sh most shops in that, you know, clothing stores, those Everyone's sort of stores closed. are closed. It's just yeah. supermarkets. And this just goes to the beginning of December if they don't extend it. So it's kind of a bit Bloody weird. Hell. It's quiet, um, but yep. uh, we can still visit Tasha's father, um, who's here at the moment, yep. um, but because he's by himself, so we're allowed to visit him. But apart from that, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, no watch shopping? No, 
No, nothing's happened since that. <laughs> I just bought that other one. I was going to do a, I was going to do a YouTube video on it. I don't know, but I think I'm a bit of a wanker if I do it. I don't know. People like watch videos, but then I don't know. I get so many weird they, comments. Don't they? They um, get more views than um, Porsche. They Porsche do. They do. Things, the watch community is. Yeah, there's a lot of people wanting watch videos. Um, all right, mm. mate. Thanks for that. Cool. I hope you feel better right. next week. Hope you, your week gets better. I know you <laughs> got a, grumpy. I know you got a lot on your plate there. Yeah, all good. All right, mate. Take it easy, and Cheers, I'll man. talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for everyone. Uh, thanks for everyone. Thanks everyone. Uh, this is a Portugal podcast. That was Steve, all the way from Sydney, Australia. I'm Michael Bath. I'm in London now. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Oh.